open our Bibles now to Ephesians chapter 5 as we continue our study tonight in verse 18. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, and in order to get us up to speed, let's look at verse 15 through 17 again, which reads this way, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. As we examine our life and the things that characterize it, it's incumbent upon us to make an objective evaluation as to whether or not that we have a lifestyle that's characterized by wise decisions. Now, all of us make foolish decisions from time to time. There's nobody in here that hadn't been, uh, played the fool at one time or another. But is our life characterized by foolish and foolish decisions, or is it characterized by wisdom? Foolish decisions would be those that don't conform to God's revealed will, and wise decisions would be those that do conform to God's divine revealed will. A lifestyle that is characterized by wise decisions means that we're making decisions that are consistent with what God has revealed to us. Really, there are three sources of the divine revelation, Jesus Christ himself, and he's not here physically, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, so that's really not an option so much for us. We have the record of that in his written word. We have God's revealed will in nature, but that's limited. So when we say God's revealed will, we're primarily speaking to the believer about God's word. So first of all, before we can act in wisdom, we've got to know God's will. And so many in the Christian community are making an honest effort, and I think it's an honest effort, but it's a misguided effort, to exercise wisdom in regard to their Christian life apart from God's word, apart from a, a, a consistent knowledge of God's word. Some of the biggest churches in the country, not all, not all, but some of the biggest churches in the country are anything but committed to teaching the Word of God. In fact, they'll tell you that's passe, that's out. We don't even want to hear the word theology. We don't want to hear the word doctrine. Well, that's foolishness according to this passage. So first we must know the Word, then we must apply it. And the better that we know the Word, the more equipped we're going to be to make wise decisions. It doesn't ensure us. It doesn't ensure that we will make wise decisions. I wish it did. Because then we could spend an hour, two hours, three hours in the Word every day, and we could, be, we could be guaranteed that we would never make a mistake. That doesn't happen. But it equips us more efficiently to make decisions that are consistent with God's Word. Now, in verse 17, the concept of wise living, I hope you see this, is paralleled with understanding. And the will of the, understanding what the will of the Lord is, the concept of foolishness is paralleled with unwise living. So wise living understanding what the will of the Lord is, foolishness, a lack of wise living. Fortunately, we're not left alone to accomplish wise living, because otherwise it would be vain thinking, because we know ourselves. We know our frailty, we know our sinful natures, we know our strength, we know our weaknesses. And if we added it all up, and when we were going to be out there on our own, we would be tested. And anyone who's objective realizes and God knows it better than all the rest of us. But we're not left alone in this process of accomplishing God's will. Now, this is one of the most important concepts in the book of Ephesians. That's why we're going to spend actually three weeks all total on this particular passage. We could spend several months on this passage because of the importance of it. We all, we all don't have time. We already turned that back on. Yeah, okay. I know, I know. Well, it's, it's a... Well, we'll do it for a little while, and then if, we, if you get too cold, then you, 
and you're civil, and we'll get it worked out one way or another. Okay. All right. Um, no problem. Anyway, verse, verse 18 gives us some information that is absolutely critical to the way that we live every day. Because it tells us about the Spirit's ministry and, uh, and aiding us with regard to wise living. If that's what it's all about, then this is absolutely critical. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. In this one short verse, we just have the power of the Christian life, the influence of the Holy Spirit in our life, all packed into this this short verse. First of all, we see that drunkenness is a waste. It's a wasted life. It's waste. It's a waste of time. The term that is translated here, dissipation, which may or may not mean anything to us, the Greek term asotia, means undisciplined living or excessive living or ruinous living. In short, what we have in asotia is the opposite of what we ought to be striving for. You see? It's the opposite of wise living. It's everything that the application of the Word of God is not. That's asotia. Being filled up or being filled up by means of the Holy Spirit leads to wise living, which, as we're going to see in the coming paragraph, includes appropriate interaction with those that we're closest to. And isn't that the place that we seem to need wisdom most of the time? Yeah, okay, sure, we need wisdom with regard to mundane, trivial things. Should I buy this car or that car? Should I move into this neighborhood or that neighborhood? And it's legitimate to place for wisdom with regard to that, of course. What college should I go to? What profession should I enter into? And how, how should I help my children or grandchildren? These are, these are things that are a little bit more intense. But how am I going to get along with my wife on a consistent basis, given the fact that Christian marriage is a testimony to a lost and dying world? How am I going to treat him or, or her in an appropriate way that's Christ-like? We need wisdom for that all the time. How am I going to get along with my Christian friends in a way that is a testimony to a lost and dying world? That's what, that's where the rubber really meets the road. So being filled up by means of the Holy Spirit means or leads to wise living. The means of the filling, as we saw last time, is the Holy Spirit. The content of the filling is not specifically mentioned here. Again, as we saw last week in this simple illustration, the means of the filling of the Holy Spirit, the content is something else. If we were this, if we were represented by this glass, the Holy Spirit is that is the agent that is pouring something into the glass. It's not the Holy Spirit being poured into it. We got as much of the Holy Spirit as we're ever going to get at the moment we trusted Jesus Christ. Our glass was full in that sense. What, what others have spoke faithful particularly said, you never get more of the Holy Spirit than you do at the moment of salvation. What the filling of the Spirit is all about is the Holy Spirit getting more of you. You see? It's not like when we sin, we lose, we lose half of the Holy Spirit's indwelling. Or we lose all the Holy Spirit's indwelling. He doesn't go anywhere. He's always there. How would you be convicted of your sin? If the Holy Spirit abandoned you completely, you wouldn't even have any conviction to confess your sin or get back or to repent or to walk in fellowship. No. The filling, the filling by means of the Holy Spirit is about the Holy Spirit getting more of you. The agent is the Holy Spirit. He's the one that's pouring something into us. So if the Holy Spirit is the agent, then what is the content? Well, one view that has been popular for almost 100 years and it's been popular in part because of the Pentecostal movement that really began in earnest towards the, well, around 1950s. 
hunter, but even in, in the, the true form, even before that. The, the idea of getting the Holy Spirit or losing the Holy Spirit and then speaking in tongues being a manifestation of the fact that one actually has the Holy Spirit. But one view is that the content of the, Holy, of the, the filling is the Holy Spirit himself. In other words, when I'm filled with the Spirit, I get more of the Spirit than I had just a few moments ago. By whatever means. The problem with that is that it's untenable from a theological point of view. It violates many aspects of orthodoxy. But it's also doubtful from an exegetical point of view. Just from the grammar of the sentence itself. Normally, verbs of filling, this is a verb of filling, pleroko, require a noun in their genitive, not the dative. We're going to genitives and datives, but this is a dative here, and plus the dative, it's not a genitive. So if it's, if it's eliminated by some theological concerns, and if it's eliminated because of grammatical concerns, as far as the Holy Spirit being that which is poured into it, you see the Holy Spirit's the one that's holding the picture, the picture pouring it in. You see the, the distinction. If, it, if, it's, if the Holy Spirit is eliminated as being what's being poured in by both from theological concerns and from exegetical concerns, what is the content of the filling then? Can we know? Well, I, I think we can. And when we come across a problem like this in the Scriptures, sometimes we're tempted to look far and wide for what the content should be. And sometimes we have to do that, but we don't have to here. The proper exegetical method would be to look close by first and see if Paul didn't give us a hint somewhere, either in this chapter or the chapter before or after, usually it's the chapter before, but not necessarily, or at least in his letter to the Ephesians. If he didn't do it in the letter to the, to the Ephesians, did he do it somewhere in one of his letters? So in other words, we'd look at Ephesians first, the same, same chapter if we could, if not that, the same letter, if not the same letter, at least the same human author, but understanding that the Holy Spirit's the author of all of Scripture, if not that author, at least, at least the same genre, the epistles perhaps, or if you're in the Gospels, stay in the Gospels, or New Testament, even Old Testament, so you broaden it out. But here we are so blessed because we don't have to look very far because the nearest reference to what the filling, the content of the filling should be is just back over in chapter 3. In chapter 3, verse 19, let's just turn back there because I want to get the context again. In chapter 3, verse 19, we have this phrase that finishes this prayer, being filled that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now, we could say, and we did last week, that, that, that the content of the filling then is all the fullness of God. We can make a great exegetical case for that. But then we have to ask ourselves, well, what is meant by all the fullness of God? Well, that just seems like another theological term that I can't take home with me and use tomorrow morning. Well, look at the prayer itself. And remember, we studied this not too long ago. We we took three weeks, I believe, to study this prayer because I knew we were going to come back to it, and we needed to have a background. So Paul, this is the second of, of his two prayers in Ephesians. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And here are the petitions, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. Now, that's one of the main petitions. Did you catch it? That we would be strengthened with power through his Spirit could also be an aspect of means as well, in the inner man. So that, this is the reason, one of the results, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and you being rooted and grounded in love, another key concept in terms of what the filling by means of the Holy Spirit means, 
that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. You see? And that you may be able to know the rest. So there's cognition here that we may be able to understand what God's will is. We may be able to understand the breadth of the love of God, that we may be strengthened with power so that Christ may dwell in our hearts. You see? So he, Paul is explaining what it means to be filled up to all the fullness of God. And finally, in verse 19, and finally in, in terms of a, a climactic way, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. So what does it mean to be filled up to all the fullness of God? Well, in short, it means to be filled with the content of God's moral excellence and power. To be filled with the content of God's moral excellence and power, which is to know the love of Christ. You want to know what a mature believer in Christ looks like? It's a believer who loves consistently. I'm talking about loves like Christ loves, not, not just in a, in a sickly, not in a maudlin way, not in an unfair way, not in an inconsistent way. But if you want to know what marks maturity, perhaps the most serious mark of the mature Christian is consistent love. Love for God and love for one's neighbor. Now that should come to, should come as no surprise to any of us. Paul tells us that the goal of all of his instruction is love. And if, and if the highest mark of a mature believer was anything else, he'd say the goal of all of our instruction is you fill in the blank, whatever it would be. But he doesn't say that. He says the goal of all of our instruction is love. So what does it mean to be filled up to all the fullness of God? It means to be filled up with the content of God's moral excellence, virtue, integrity, the proper ethic, in other words, to be filled up with his power, which ultimately results in us knowing and applying the love of Christ to every circumstance. That's what we're filled up with. Now, he summarizes all of that. He summarizes what he prayed in verses 14 through 19 when he gets to Ephesians 5.18. But it's all of that. It's, 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 it is power, yes, but it's more than power. It's knowledge, yes, but it's more than knowledge. It's understanding, yes, but it's more than understanding. It's all of that which culminates in a consistent walk that is marked by that. Now, that shouldn't shock us. Remember back in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, 5.22, what's the very first one? Love. Exactly right. And, it's, and the fruit there at Tarkos is in the singular, meaning that all the rest of those, it's, meaning it's a package deal that all, it all starts with love, and everything flows out from that. It shouldn't shock us that this is part of the content, or this is the content. Now, there is a parallel passage to this, a passage that was written about the same time, to an audience not too far away from Ephesus, and that's in Colossians 3.16. Now, I went to the Ephesians passage first. Did you notice that? Because if we're going to see what Paul is speaking about to the Ephesians, it's best to get the closest reference that we can get if we're going to have proper exegetical method. But he also speaks of the same topic, and we know that by the participles that follow. But in Colossians 3.16, Paul writes this, Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you, with all wisdom and teaching, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness to your hearts, in your hearts to God. Now that's going to parallel verse 19 very closely. So when we when we put these two passages together, being filled by means of the Holy Spirit is going to be very closely aligned with letting the Word of Christ dwell richly within us. It's not as though they're synonymous, but they're almost synonymous. They're very, very closely related. Colossians 3.16, 
is very closely related to Ephesians 5.18. There is an exegetical connection between the two. That's an important phrase because in just a few moments I'm going to I'm going to say something that it may be a bit of a shock to some of you. That's why I want to make sure I'm going to tell you now, so I know you're going to get your attention just right away. There's going to be a well-known concept for which I'm going to say there is no exegetical connection. Hang in there. There'll be a theological connection, but there won't be. Here we have an exegetical connection, meaning that we have similar terminology in Colossians 3.16 than, than we do in Ephesians 5.18. They were written at the same time. Audiences that were very close together. There is an exegetical connection. We'll, we'll talk about that more when we come back. Again, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and following, the subject is wise living. So the Holy Spirit fills us. Notice that's passive. We don't go, we don't fill ourselves. The Holy Spirit fills us with the, all the fullness of God, his moral excellence, his power, knowing the love of Christ. He fills us with all the fullness of God so that as we walk through this life, day by day, moment by moment, interaction by interaction, then I will live wisely. Interaction by interaction. And you may have ten interactions that you think just went really, really well. And you know how Satan is? He kind of gets as soon as he thinks everything's fine, he lets the guard down, and then that one person or that one car or that one clerk or that one banker or that one whoever it may be comes and they get us and we fail on number two. If that happens, then you pick yourself back up. We'll confess it as we'll see in just a moment, and we'll get back on toward wise living. But it's the Holy Spirit that is enabling us. Again, back in verse in, in chapter three, verses fourteen and following, He's enabling us to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, and to act on that knowledge, which is important. So we're talking about wise living. Wise living is, stands in stark contrast to those who are under the influence of wine, chapter 3. Now, we said last time, but in case you weren't here, let me say it again. This passage is not arguing against the normal and usual consumption of wine. It's arguing against the excessive and the abuse of special products. The same thing could be said for many different uh, drugs, legal and illegal, prescription or non-prescription. If we're using anything to achieve the Christian way of life outside of the spirit's empowerment, if we're using a chemical rather than the spirit itself, then we are away off base. Now, the next reasonable question that I hope you have is, well, okay, how does this work? If I'm commanded to do it, and we are commanded to be filled, how does it happen? Well, that's a legitimate question. The first thing that we must know, and we must keep ever in the forefront of our thinking is that the Spirit is the agent of the filling. He's the means of the filling. We're the ones being filled. In other words, this is a passive action. It's something that's being done to us. But it's a command. That's that active passivity that Francis Schaeffer used to talk about. It's a command that we have something passive happen on our behalf. This, this is a command that we allow this action to be performed upon us, on, on our behalf. Now, back to what we saw a moment ago. If we were to take our hand and place it on the top of that glass, we could refuse 
easily going into that. In the same way, we, just again, the glass metaphorical for our life. We could put our hand up there, and what is being poured in would splash all over the counter. It wouldn't do us any good, and when we got finished, the glass would still be empty. You see, sometimes people do that with our lives. We'd say no. We put our hand on top of the glass, say no, nothing's coming in there. I'm not going to allow the Holy Spirit to have his way with me. You see, we can say no. So how are we to affect this? How are we to get what God is talking about here with regard to the Holy Spirit filling us? Well, it's accomplished in short by saying yes to God and no to ourselves. Now, that's the long and the short of it, saying yes to God and no to ourselves. In Romans chapter 6, Paul describes this kind of activity with these words. And don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But, here the key is the key phrase, present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You see that term? But present yourselves to God. Here I am, God. I'm saying yes to you. In other words, don't put your hand over the top of the glass. Take it off there and say, okay, fill me. Have your way with me. Use me in any way you want to. Now, that's not what we usually do. We usually put our hand up there, and then we take it away and say, okay, I'm going to let you know. What is it, what is it you're going to want me to do? How, I, want, I, need to do I need to submit. Are you out of your mind, Lord? You know, I need to, I need to obey it that way. No, our, so what we do is we put our hand up there, and we kind of put our fingers down and say, well, this doesn't really come through. And God says, no, you take your hand away, or you put it on there. You take your pick, but don't try to dictate to me what's going to come in. Because then we haven't said yes to God and no to ourselves. We haven't, to use an older English word, we haven't yielded to God. And I know that word is, has been kind of uh, used inappropriate by certain denominations, so they avoid that. But that's really what the, the old, it's the same old English term. We haven't submitted ourselves. We, have, we haven't presented ourselves. You see, that again, that's the long and the short of it, saying yes to God, taking our hand off of the glass and letting him fill it, rather than saying no. That was Romans 6.13, but in Romans 6.16, he says this, Do you not know that when you present yourselves as someone as slaves to obedience, you're slaves to the one whom you obey, even of sin resulting in death, or of obedience resulting in righteousness? When we take our hand away and God fills us with all of his fullness, then we have the ability to walk in fellowship with him. One of the most critical aspects in saying yes to God no to ourselves, is the decision that we make to acknowledge our sins before God. You've heard it a million times. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession of post-salvation sins, watch, is a critical prerequisite to being filled up by means of the Holy Spirit. It is a critical prerequisite to being filled up by means of the Holy Spirit. Light can't have fellowship with darkness. Holiness is not going to fellowship with unholy or with unholiness or with sin. And God the Holy Spirit will not fill one with all the fullness of God against the individual's will. God is not going to fill you up against your will. He's not going to take your hand and rip it away from the top of that cup and then pour his fullness into you. You choose to take your hand off. Now, part of choosing to take your hand off is just because if your hand's up there, you're in sin. Agreed? If we're walking in righteousness, our hand wouldn't be on top of that glass. 
part of that and the critical prerequisite for this whole process taking place is confession of our sins. That's the first step. That's why I call it a critical prerequisite. This is why I told you a minute ago you may be surprised or not surprised. There is no direct exegetical connection between 1 John 1 9 and Ephesians 5 18. There's a theological connection. I think I just made it. I, ho- I hope to have made it for you without too much further explanation. Light can't have fellowship with darkness. Holiness is not, is not going to have fellowship with sin. The Holy Spirit is not going to fill one to all the fullness of God apart from one's will in order to accomplish that. But there's no direct exegetical connection between first one, John 1 9 and Ephesians 5 18. I do believe there's a logical theological connection, which I just made, but there's no direct exegetical connection. So, it goes beyond the biblical text to make the assertion that if a believer or when a believer confesses their sins, then they are automatically filled up by means of the Holy Spirit. I think you can make a logical theological argument for that, but we, there is no verse, in other words. There's no verse in the Bible, anywhere. It says, if I confess my sins, then I'm going to be filled up by means of the Holy Spirit. We have to get at that through a theological argument, not an exegetical argument, which doesn't make it wrong, by the way. But we just need to acknowledge that, because people will throw that right back in your face. Well, where is that verse set? There isn't one, but we can reasonably make the assertion that if our hand is over the cup, we're in sin, the first thing we have to do is take it off, and that's by acknowledging the fact that we are walking in sin. And, and acknowledge that we're sinners, sinners. Confession, for this process to be effective in the way that Paul outlines it, confession must be followed by submission to God and His revealed will. In other words, His word. Or again, as Paul put it in Romans chapter 6, verse 13, but present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead, as and your members as instruments of righteousness. Here I am. Maybe this is the way we ought to start the day. I hope you didn't sin while you were sleeping. I've done that before. It's a trick. <laughs> but let's say let's say you uh, you were confessed up before you went to bed. You wake up in the morning. Maybe the first thing we ought to do is say, "Here I am, Lord, use me today." However you want to use me, and not be no shame. Not use me today, except. I don't ever want you to string me there. Please don't make me talk to them. I sure don't want to do that. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll tell you what. There are, there are three places that I never want to go. Didn't want to go. Didn't want to go vacation with Lisa. Didn't really particularly want to do ministry with Lisa. And God has sent me to two three times. And I have thoroughly enjoyed them. Spent most of the time with them. When I finally said, "Okay, you, you show me where it is that you want to go. You do with me what you want to do with me. Who knew better than me what would ultimately make me complete in my life?" I'm not going to tell you where the third place is. God knows. He can't tell me that. I know. I'm trying to fool him. I can't do it though. I really want to go there. You know what I mean, though. You, you know what I mean. We we submit, but we submit with conditions. I'll follow you, but, there ought not to be any but after that. 
present yourselves to God. That's why I said the confession of sin is a critical prerequisite. But now that the lid's off, do it gently. And then we'll have that empowerment that is spoken of in chapter 3. Then we'll have that understanding that's spoken of in chapter 3 that culminates in God's love being expressed through our life. Do you want to test yourself to see if you have been consistently filled up by means of the Holy Spirit? There's nothing in here about speaking in any foreign languages. There's nothing in here about that at all. Here's how you test yourself. You consistently make wise decisions. And you go through seasons, you go through seasons, you reflect the love of God both toward him and toward your fellow human beings. If you can't say yes to that, then the probability is that you haven't been walking a whole lot of in life under the Holy Spirit. Now, it might be helpful here as we come close to the inch toward the conclusion of the class tonight. But it might be helpful to briefly review five of the ministries of the Holy Spirit that are presented or stressed, rather, in the New Testament. And I have these five up there. If, if you're too far in the back, back, I apologize. I couldn't get the font big enough and get it all on this tiny slide. But the first ministry is the baptizing ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. We, we understand that it's by means of one spirit that we've all been baptized into the body of Christ. We've all been baptized into one body. This is something that takes place at the moment of salvation. We know that because Paul is talking to a very carnal bunch in Corinth, yet he's saying all of us, everyone who re- is reading this, at least in Corinth, and now anyone who's reading it as a believer has already been baptized. This is the Holy Spirit taking us and placing us into the body of Christ. The second ministry of the Holy Spirit that we need to review briefly is the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. At the moment we trust Christ, we are indwelt by His Spirit. In fact, other passages tell us that we're also indwelt by the Son and the Father. We're indwelt by every member of the Trinity. But here we're talking about the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Remember that passage? Um, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, glorify God in our body. John chapter 14, verse 17, Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, and actually many other passages in the New Testament speak of the, the, the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And finally, at least in this particular category, you see I have these set apart, and I'll show you why. In Ephesians, Paul has twice spoken of the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed until the day of redemption. Remember that passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30? We studied it not all that long ago. The sealing of the Holy Spirit is, is the Holy Spirit taking you and securing you, securing you as an individual in your salvation until the day of redemption. We illustrated it back then, and it doesn't hurt to do it now. In a in the ancient times, and certainly in the times in which this is written, if one, let's, let's put it in the realm of a kingship, if one king wanted to send a message to another king, they would write a message on a scroll, and then they would take wax, and they would seal up that scroll and, and put, their, put their signet ring in there, and they would give that letter to a messenger. The messenger would then take it to the other king or the other the general, whoever it was to be taken from. Now, if, by some opportunity, that messenger happened to break that seal, 
then by the time the enemies will not deliver the message to the other king because that person would have ordinarily under the custom of the time been executed. That's how sacred the message was. That's why they sealed it up and then left. Well, in, as, as Paul uses this metaphor, the Holy Spirit has sealed us up in Christ in an omnipotent way. And no one can break the seal of the Holy Spirit. We just secured it in the power of the Son. We're securing Christ in the power of the Father. But we're also securing Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's the sealing ministry. It was mentioned in Ephesians 1.13 and also Ephesians 4.30. We've studied that before. And then, then secondly, we have these two ministries, walking by means of the Spirit. That was Galatians chapter 5, particularly verse 16. But we've studied that passage on several different occasions because it's so important to this business. And then being filled up by means of the Holy Spirit. That's our passage for tonight. Now, the first thing that we need to recognize is that while these, these are distinct ministries, we can, as a matter of fact, we can outline them and we can, we can show distinctions between each of them. While they are somewhat distinct, it doesn't mean that they're not interrelated. They are distinct, but they are all interrelated. That's one of the things that makes teaching classes at Halftime Union College and the study of the Holy Spirit rather difficult because there's always overlap between these ministries. So that's the first thing that we need to see. There's distinction, but there is some interrelated, interrelatedness here. Now, the second thing that we need to note, though, is that the first three, baptizing, drawing, and sealing ministries of the Holy Spirit, these three are all bestowed upon the believer at the moment of salvation. At the very instant of salvation, that we trust Jesus Christ, him and him alone, and at the very moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ to forgive our sins and to grant us eternal life, the Holy Spirit baptizes us, meaning he places us into the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit indwells us, not to be lost, by the way. There's no passage that ever says the Holy Spirit indwelling can be lost, not in the New Testament. And the Holy Spirit seals us. All three of these happen at the moment of salvation. For example, there is no biblical command that commands us to be baptized by means of the Holy Spirit. No command that commands us to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. There's no command that commands us to be sealed by the Holy Spirit. In fact, Romans 8, chapter 9 says if we're not indwelt with the Holy Spirit, we're not a believer at all. So the first three are bestowed at the moment of salvation. But the final two, and this is kind of where the Christian life is lived, the final two, walking and filling, are commanded. We're commanded to walk by means of the Holy Spirit. We are commanded, that's Ephesians chapter 5, we're commanded to be filled up by means of the Holy Spirit. Both are present in perishing. And the significance of that is that they, it means that they're not necessarily automatic. It's not something we do once, and we don't have to concern ourselves with it again. They're, these are injunctions or commands, walking and being filled, are commands that the believer is to follow Continually, present and perishing. One day, the next day, the next day, or you write messages one hour to the next hour to the next hour, or every 15 minutes, or, or depending on your own particular situation as to what kind of life that you're having to live and what kind of stress that you're under in any particular moment. They are injunctions for every believer to follow continually. It's quite clear from Galatians chapter 5, and I hope you were with us fairly recently when we studied that, because we're, our time is limited tonight. But it's clear in Ephesians chapter 5 
that we are either walking by means of the Holy Spirit at any one given moment, or we're not. It's one of those either-or equations. Either we're walking by the Spirit and producing the fruit of the Spirit at any given moment in our life, or we are walking by means of the flesh and producing the flesh. Either we're walking by means of the Spirit and we're producing the things that are mentioned in this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, love, joy, peace, and so on. The primary one being love. It's in the singular. We said a minute or moment ago. Or we're functioning under the influence of the flesh and are producing its fruit. Immorality, idolatry, jealousy, and the like. And Paul's point in Galatians 5 is that you shouldn't have to stay awake at night trying to figure out, am I walking by means of the flesh or am I walking by means of the Holy Spirit? Those two lists are, are diametrically opposed to each other. There's, there's no overlap in those lists. To be filled up by means of the Holy Spirit is a closely related but slightly different concept from walking by means of the Holy Spirit. To be filled is more than just indwelling. And I hope you've seen that. The, the Holy Spirit is not the content of the filling. It's more than just indwelling. It's a closely related content. It's the activity of the Holy Spirit, to use Harold Horner's words, realized in and through us. The activity of the Holy Spirit realized in and through us. In and through us. So there's application involved in being filled up by means of the Holy Spirit. Now the distinction between walking by means of the Holy Spirit and being filled and filled up all the fullness of God by means of the Holy Spirit, the distinction between these two may be may very well be one of emphasis. Walking by means of the Holy Spirit, in Galatians chapter 5, stresses a reliance upon the Holy Spirit for enablement or empowerment to live a life that is pleasing to God. Being filled up by means of the Holy Spirit stresses the process. It stresses the process of being filled with the content of God's moral excellence and power, which is familiar to all of us. I recognize that as I continue with conversation, I recognize that's a very fine distinction. And certainly there's empowerment in both places, and, and in some sense there's a process in both places. But Ephesians chapter 5 and Galatians chapter 5 do have slightly different emphases. Both walking and filling, though, are presented as either or myself, either I'm presenting myself unto God or I'm not. They're not presented as being relative concepts. Both are presented, both are results of presenting oneself to God and submitting to His will for our life. So, there is, there is a distinction because of the emphasis, uh, the difference in emphasis between Ephesians 5 and Galatians chapter 5. But, granted, the distinction is Don't be drunk with wine, for that is a waste of wine. That's a story that we can tell. The parallel is what we have in Galatians chapter 5. We can walk, we can live our lives by means of empowerment of the flesh. That's a story. You go back to our teaching metaphor we had a moment ago. We can put our hand on top of the glass and, and refuse the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives, even though he's there. 
He hasn't gone anywhere. You've gone somewhere. Maybe people put their hands up and say, Oh, Lord, where have you gone? I feel so distant from you. Well, some of us even said, Well, I'm glad you finally recognized that, but I haven't gone anywhere. You're the one that's left. You're the only like people go and say, You're the one that has strayed. I've given you the whole path. Desiring for, for every moment, every second of your life, God would say, to fill you up with all the fullness of God, to empower you to do my will, to give you the understanding that you need, and to allow you to love like Christ does. And isn't that the highest form of adoration? Don't be compromised. That's a waste of time. Anything else is a waste of time. In the context of Ephesians 5, that's unwise living. Unwise living doesn't follow the mandate in verse 16, making the most of your days because the days are evil. Unwise living wastes time. I know about you. I don't have any time to waste. And I suspect if you were asked to sit and stare at and play the conversation, none of us would. That's the problem with you. We assume that we have sufficient willpower. We certainly say that we have a certain amount of time to live. We have a certain amount of opportunity. We don't get Okay, these are the opportunities I'm going to give you. You make the most of them, and I'm going to give you some more. You say no to them, well, that's all I'm going to give you. We don't do that. That's why he said make the most of the days because the days are evil. Satan's in control, and God can't, can't make use of him. Don't be foolish. Don't live your life empowered by something other than the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, for that's dissipation, but be filled up by means of the Holy Spirit. The wise walk is one that is characterized by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit fills us with all the fullness of God so that we might understand what the will of the Lord is and so live accordingly. Father, we are humbled. We're thankful. So appreciative of this ministry of the Holy Spirit that helps us to apply that which we've learned through life situations. Helps us to understand the Word of God, helps us to apply it, empowers us to do your will, and fills us up with all the love of God. We know we can't do it on our own. And we thank you for this incredible ministry. As we go our way, I do pray that we would be motivated, we would be inclined say yes to you and make that choice without conditions, that we would present our body, our members as a living sacrifice to you as for righteous purposes and not for unrighteous, unrighteous purposes, that we would submit ourselves to you, that we would yield, that we would say your will and not our will be done, as our Lord did 